0: My name is Brad. It's nice to be with you this morning. Hey, we're going to be kind of uh, camping out in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, we're going to talk about, we're opening up this new series that uh, kind of kicks off the fall, which kicks off with us being here at 9 a.m. and then a bunch of other people being here at 11. Hey, you just want to hang out? Okay. Uh, but it's, it's, it's kind of what we do here as Bethany. Not just Bethany Ballard, but every single one of our six locations is going through the same Thing. We're asking ourselves why we gather, how we grow, and do we go? So gather, grow, go. This is, this is what we're doing for the next three weeks. It's the DNA of Bethany Community Church. So today we're going to answer the question, why the heck are we here? Do you know? It's weird, right? It's Sunday morning. It's kickoff day. Uh, football starts if you care about football. If you don't, the BMW Championship starts in like 10 minutes. Uh, tiger's four back he has a chance stop looking at me that way roger he's got a chance there's other things going so why do we come and gather why is it important that we get here and so for the next couple weeks three weeks actually we're going to talk about our gatherings we're going to talk about why we grow should we grow as christians or is it just to get saved and then just move on and and be fine and nothing else happens. And then what do we do then? There's got to be something to do. And so in Acts and in Matthew, there's this whole thing of we go. We go out. We just don't come here and make it a country club about us. There's things that we do about for, about Christ, for Christ, in our community, through our lives. And so those are that's where we're going. But before we get to that, allow me to pray. And then we'll, we'll dive into Corinthians and, and what we are doing here. Father, Uh, We thank you for the change in seasons that's upon us, Uh, and and God, we thank you for the the busyness that's about to happen, and Lord, we ask that you give us strength, uh, because soon Christmas will be here. Yep. Um, And so, God, we we thank you for this time. We ask that you uh, would open our ears, would you open my ears and our hearts and my heart, uh, that we may hear what your Spirit is teaching us today uh, through your Scriptures. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you like to cook? No, 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 that's, that's cook, not bake. Cook. <laughs> yes. I love to cook. In our house, I'm, I, I tend to cook the most. Carrie will sometimes just put out the ingredients and say, make this or something. And I love it. I love cooking. I like to create. I like simple things. Meat, butter, garlic, salt, pepper, done, right? Potatoes. That's That's cooking. I like to watch Top Chef where they take all of these ingredients and put them together. And then the person who has an amazing dish but was like, just a skid salt. Too much salt gets to go home. And so, I mean, I love cooking. I don't like baking. Some of you love baking. Some of you are great at baking. And I'm very thankful that you are good at baking because I taste the fruits of this. It is wonderful. When it comes to baking... If I can't just put it in a box, throw water in, stir, throw it in the oven, I don't do it. I like simple, I like just a small, just a little bit of recipes, three, four things maybe. Don't make me do math on the measuring. I don't want to do that. I want simple recipes. So when we look at the recipe or the ingredients and we take that those kind of ingredients and put it to a church what do, what ingredients does it take to have a successful Sunday morning? What do we do here? What are the ingredients of worship? What are the ingredients of why we gather? What are they? If you were to turn to First Corinthians fourteen, Paul is writing this letter to a church, and he he's correcting them a lot. The Corinthians were uh, they're kind of whack. They had some problems. They had some sin issues. Uh, Someone was sleeping with a stepmother. There was some pride issues. People thought that because they came to Christ through Paul or Apollos that they were better than each other. So there was some pride and some competitions. And then you had this whole idea of spiritual gifts. And because some people had the gift of prophecy and some people had the gift of tongues, there was a competition of who was better and who was a stronger Christian. And so it was just chaos And the book of Corinthians, both of them are compiled of a few different letters, and we put them into two. And what you see there is the Corinthians would write back to Paul, he would write them a letter, and then they would write back with questions. And then Paul would address the questions. And so you start to see how Paul is, is just going through the bullet points of what their questions were. They were pretty chaotic. But when you get to the end of 1 Corinthians, Paul starts talking about their morning worship. And what they do on a Sunday gathering. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 14.26. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. It's a summary statement. Paul has worked through something. And we'll go back to see what Paul is working through here. But this is his summary statement of his previous 25 verses and we're going to skim through them and take the high points of the 25 but Paul is saying when you get together there are some basic ingredients in what you do on Sundays nowhere in scripture does it say your Sunday morning will include this, this, this and this. Nowhere this is not a prescription of what we should be doing in fact at this point the church was 20 to 30 people meeting in someone's home uh, they were small there were other pockets of churches around Corinth and even the Roman empire that were meeting and doing other things just because this is laid out here this this is there's there's three ingredients here that are common amongst all of, of all churches their church was different than ours just like our church is different from the one up the street but in each church there was three common ingredients that we can see and Paul talks about them in your bulletins if you're following along there's some Points there. The first, the first uh, ingredient that we see is that there's worship. Paul Paul starts talking about worship, and in the church there was all sorts of worship happening. There was talking, there was discussing, there was learning. It was a very diverse and very uh, participatory event where women and men would teach, have a song, they would pray. There'd be a gift, there'd be a prophecy. It was a very participatory. Everyone was involved. <laughs> participatory, right? Okay, that word. It was a very participatory service. Everyone had something to bring. Everyone had something to offer. And Paul boils it down, and and I don't think he knew that we'd all be looking at this going, oh, this is what we're supposed to do. But in this, we can find three things that we should be doing as a church. The first being expressive uh, worship, uh, the first ingredient. So let's back up. If you have your Bibles, go back to the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He says this, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the spirit, especially prophecy for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter the mysteries by the spirit, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening and encouraging and their comfort. Anyone who speaks in tongues edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Clear as mud, right? That's so crystal clear. No, there's a lot of things here. And anytime we start talking about tongues, people get weird because tongues is weird. It's strange, and anytime you start talking about prophecy and the gifts, things get weird. And it's been weird all through church history. There has been division after division on this topic: should we do it? Should we not? What's the place? How do we do this? Is this really tongues? Is it for today? Does it exist? All of these questions have made so many divisions in the church, and we've made it weird. It shouldn't divide us, and it shouldn't, and it shouldn't be strange. There's a lot of things we do that's strange. This. This is a normal thing that the spirit comes upon, and and we have tongues. So, what's Paul getting at here? First of all, let's. Anytime we talk about tongues, it gets weird. So, let's just define it. Uh, here's what he says: the definition of tongues, and we put this on the screen behind. Praying in tongues is a spirit given liberty to praise or pray to God with sounds and languages not understood by the speaker. Paul encourages this gift both in private. And only in the Sunday gatherings if there is an interpretation, so it can benefit others. Make sense? Tongues is a spirit-given gift that some people have, some people don't. It's used in private prayer, and sometimes it's used on Sunday mornings if there's an interpreter. So in this the okay. gift of tongues, the first time we see it is in Acts two, Pentecost. 50 days after the Passover, when Jesus died, his disciples were all gathered in the upper room, and suddenly they began speaking in other languages. And then people coming by from the Medes and the Persian places, they're all in Jerusalem for this festival, and they start hearing their language and their dialect in a place where they couldn't expect it or never thought it would be. And they're shocked. This is the first time the word of God or the gospel got out of the upper room. And the 12 disciples were like, we don't know what's happening. And everyone's looking around going, they're crazy. In fact, they said, they're drunk. And then Peter says, no, not yet. It's still 9 a.m. It's happy hour somewhere, but not here. And so this, this, this is the first time we see it. But the tongues that is seen here in Acts 2 and the tongues that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 14 are different. In Acts 2, the gift of tongues was used by a group of people, the 12 disciples, to talk other languages. And if you look back in Acts 2, we don't have a lot of time to go into it today, in Acts 2, they're speaking tongues to other individuals so that the story of God would get out, so that the gospel would, would start to spread. And we see that happening. Those people who were there on the, in Jerusalem on Pentecost go home and they say, dude, we heard some weird things and we were told about Jesus and then this guy Peter came up and he told us about Christ who had died and risen again and then the message got out. It was for person to person. The tongues that Paul is talking about here in Corinthians are different. Look in verse 2. Anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. In Acts 2, they spoke to people. Here in Corinthians, they're speaking to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. This version of tongues that Paul is talking about is a form of prayer or a form of worship to God. Notice he doesn't say you shouldn't do this. And he's not prescribing that we should. Many people get hung up on this and say in order to be a good Christian or even a Christian you have to speak in tongues. Paul never says this. He says this is happening. And he he says that if it happens in church, if it happens in... Within a service, and we'll get to this a little later, of to why, there needs to be an interpretation. In Corinth, there were people who had the gift of tongues, and then they would start speaking in tongues in the middle of a service, and then this person would start speaking, and then that person, it would just sound like babble. And no one would understand it. And Paul says, look, your services are chaotic. Just because we have the charisma, the gifts of the Spirit, doesn't mean that we have chaos. God is the God of order. This is not right. And so Paul says, look, don't do this unless there's an interpretation. Here's what interpretation means. The ability to render the prayer or praise into articulate words so that the others can understand and be encouraged. Here's what Paul says in verse 12. So it is with you, since you are eager for the gifts, try to excel the ones that build up the church. For this reason, the one that speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they're saying. Build up the church. Paul's saying that if speaking in tongues and no one understands you, what's the point? It's not going to build somebody else up. You look like a mad person over there just talking and talking and talking. You're not helping people. Paul says pray for an interpretation so that it may be beneficial to others. We were at Alpha Retreat. Uh, In the spring, we'll kick up Alpha again. And Alpha is a series about eight to nine weeks where we come together and it's a place to ask questions, to explore faith, to to search out Jesus. There's an Alpha day away where we go, we find a cabin somewhere, and, and we intentionally go and we pray and we seek and we ask the Spirit to move among us. This last time at Alpha was the first time I ever experienced this, and many others experienced this. We had a man who had a tongue. We were sitting there praying, waiting for something to happen, just inviting God into our midst. And this, this man spoke something. And it sounded like Babel. Then, soon as he was done, another woman said, this is what he was saying. And here's what it said. Open your hearts. I am closer than you think. And every single one of us in that room were seeking out Christ. We're seeking Jesus. We're seeking for prayer or something. And we were looking for, for Christ to meet us in that place. A tongue and then an encouragement to everybody that you're doing the right thing. Open your hearts. I'm closer than you think. Those two people did not ride together to get to the Alpha Retreat. They came separately. I don't even think they know each other to this point. But it was God working. There was a tongue and there was an interpretation, and it edified the 20 or so of us in the room. That's what Paul is wanting here. When you speak in tongues, pray for an interpretation. If you don't have an interpretation, just keep it to yourself. It's a prayer language between you and God. So what does this have to do with worship? Paul, here in this first couple lines of 1 Corinthians 14, 26, is describing worship that is intentional and expressive. He goes on to say in a little paragraph there that if you speak in tongues, your mind is not active. You're not using your mind. You're just allowing the spirit to talk. You're talking, basically. He says, no, we want you to use your mind. He says in verse 14, so if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What shall I do? I pray in the Spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my Spirit, but I will sing with understanding. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the Spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say, Amen to your thanksgiving, since they don't know what you're saying? You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. So he's saying in your services, in your Sunday gatherings, or whenever you gather There is expressive and mindful worship whenever you're you're thinking about what you're saying. Why? So that it can edify everybody else. It's not about you and your own private experience. When you're gathered together, it's about edifying other people. Other people are encouraged. So what is worship? Worship is simply remembering and recognizing with all of your mind, heart, body, and soul who God is and what God has done and expressively responding through spirit, song, and prayer or however else you feel respond to respond. Worship is a time when, at least from what we can gather here, you are all in. As much as you can, you're engaging with your body, soul, and spirit in a moment where you're not thinking about work, when you're not thinking about school, when you're not thinking about what the person sounds like behind you, when you're not worried about what you sound like, you are responding to the sacrifice that God has done and what he has done for you in your spirit and your mind are engaged and you are responsive. Paul puts this uh, in Romans 12, he talks, It says, Therefore, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, which is your spiritual act of worship. Romans 12, 1 and 2. He says, therefore, looking back on the first 11 chapters of Romans, now that we have covered everything that God has done for us, we worship. You worship because you're mindful of what's happening. So when we gather together, we worship. That's the first ingredient. The second ingredient when we gather together is you come to hear about God. So let's back up. Let's go back up to the f- top of 1 Corinthians 14 in verse 3. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, for their encouraging, for their comfort. Anyone who speaks in tongues edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Now remember, they're meeting in homes, 20 or 30 of them in a room. They're, they just had dinner, the Lord's Supper. They've taken communion. They've remembered, and now they prophesy. But what is prophecy? Prophecy. In our culture, we get this a little weird about prophecy, right? We start thinking of Nostradamus, uh, we start thinking of spooky things, and whenever my son says "spooky," he goes "spooky." We start, but that's where we go. We start thinking of prophecy as if we're going to look down the pipe and see what's coming, as if we're telling the future of on um, Tuesday we're going to do this, or your team will win by this many points. Probably won't, mine will, but there. They're they're trying to discern a future. And sometimes that's what prophecy is. When we look back in, in the Old Testament, we see some of the prophets in Exodus 7, Micah 5, 1 Samuel 23, or 2 Samuel 23. We see prophecy as that. People are looking forward and God's giving them a picture of what's going to happen. And then they come back and say, woe to you, Israel. This is what's going to happen if you don't shape up. And so they got a glimpse of what's going to take place, and so there's prophecy. But this is not always how prophecy works. Prophecy is also telling what God thinks. So if you look back at the Old Testament prophets, many of them, the majority of them, aren't telling a future. They're simply saying, this is what God has to say to you. Biblical prophecy, some would say, is not foretelling a future, but forthtelling. It's something that seeks to answer the question of what does God have to say about this circumstance? What does God have to say about this time and place that you're in? What does God have to say to this person? Specifically, what is God saying to this person and about this situation? Prophecy is when God uses us, humans, men and women, as mouthpieces to let others know what he is saying at the moment. Here's another definition of prophecy that is widely agreed upon. Prophecy is a spirit-guided speaking inspired by God, by God's word, sorry, that makes the message specifically relevant to people's lives or in the gathered community. So prophecy could take on some many, many forms. It's when your spirit and mind engaged. Are engaged. It involves thinking and studying and prayer and application. It could be a form of preaching. Sometimes there's teaching. Sometimes there's teaching or preaching. There's there's different. It could be a form of preaching. Uh, and sometimes it's form of prayer. Maybe it looks like this. Uh, it, prophecy is this divine insight of what God might be thinking. So maybe during this, uh, the four minutes of awkwardness that we have when we pretend that we're extroverts and we shake each other's hands, maybe it's you've met someone and as you're talking to them, you're like, I'm getting a sense here. There's a heaviness with this individual. And now you've gone back to your seat, but you're like, I feel like I need to pray for this person. And as you're praying for this person, a, a scripture comes to mind. And then you're like, I, I think I, I need to share this with this person. And you share this scripture with this person. And then that person is like, I'm very, very encouraged from this. Prophecy is highly Highly personal. We've had it done to myself. I I went forward for prayer one day, and it was during a season that was very dry. And only I would describe it as dry. I think Carrie knew, but Carrie wasn't there. It was just a time of dryness. We were in California, and I went to this church service, and I, I, I said I'd like to receive prayer, and I went for prayer, and then people prayed for me. And then the person praying for me says, I just get a picture of a desert. I get a picture that you're dry and you need filling. That was prophetic. I didn't know who that guy was. The Spirit worked through him for him to hear what God was saying to me was that God sees this, and it was a time of encouragement. Prophecy is highly, highly personal. The Spirit may be whispering to you about something, and we usually think, well, that's weird. I'm going to go away. I'm not even going to think about it. I don't know what... Spaghetti and meatballs has to do with anything. But maybe God's trying to give you a picture. Maybe you rent you ran into somebody and, and, and all you've been thinking about is what they're going through and you're praying about it, and you just gotta share it. That's prophecy. It's encouraging, it makes sense, it lets people know that God is thinking of them specifically and coming into their situation. And that's what people are looking for. So it's no wonder that Paul says, I'd rather you prophesy here. I'd rather you guys speak the truth of what God says. Rather than go off babbling in tongues, which is good for you, prophesy, learn, listen. The greatest thing you can do, Paul says, he's not ranking the gifts, but when it comes to the gathered community, this is something that he prefers. It's not better, it's just more beneficial, and it benefits everyone. There's another reason that Paul says this, and then if you put on your sarcasm hats when you read the text, you can kind of pick up on what Paul's saying. He says, but in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct at others, uh, rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. This is something that I use when we think of sermons. Not 10,000 words, let's get it down to five. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like little children in regard to, <laughs> to evil be infants, but in your thinking be adults. And then he quotes from Isaiah. Uh, in the law it is written, with other tongues and through lips of foreigners I will speak to the people, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Essentially what he's getting at here is in the church if all we're doing is speaking in tongues, if all we're doing is expressive worship, we're going to be missing something. Their God has something to say here. When people walk into the church and, and they all they see is chaos and there's no Uh, Truth telling, there's no encouragement from the body. There's no word from God. People are going to walk in and go, this is just weird. I'm going to leave. This is what Paul is saying is happening in Corinth. They walk into their church and he sees chaos. And then they say, this is no different than what the Greeks and the Romans are doing down the street. Why should we go here? People are searching. People want to know what God has to say to them. People want to be encouraged by a word from God. This is when prophecy comes in and it 's not just me, this is you, the Holy Spirit is active and present in all of your lives too. You can get a word or a picture or verse or phrase from the Spirit, and then you can prophesy over it, and all it is is encouraging somebody else. This is what God has to say. He sees you, he knows you, he loves you you 're not alone in this. God can see you, this is what he 's going for. this is what Paul wants. In the church. So we have expressive worship and we have teaching. We have a word from God. And the last uh, uh, ingredient that we have is to seek the well being of others. So Paul's talking here and he, he says uh, the first, in the, in the structure of Corinthians, for 1 Corinthians 13 is famous for what? Do we know this? Love. Love chapter. How many of you have it memorized? How many of you had it on your wedding? It's a popular one. Love is patient. Love is kind. I don't have it memorized. It does not envy. (laughs) It does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. There I go. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Uh, It keeps no records of wrong. It doesn't delight evil. Love never fails. It always hopes, perseveres, and trusts. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it'll pass away. Because we don't have love. So this is what Paul is getting at. He's looking at this very divided and chaotic church and saying, Love each other. Be nice to each other. This is how we should act towards each other. And then in in, in chapter 14, Or if we can describe love, love would be this. Seek the well-being of the other person more than yourself. If we define what love is, that's what you do. You put the other person's need In front of you, Jesus says greater love has no person rather than they lay down his life for his friend. This is what love is. And then Paul opens up uh, 1 Corinthians 14 with this, follow the way of love. Five words, follow the way of love. And that frames everything that happens in their church service. Follow the way of love before any other ingredient goes into it that's what we should do. And what we usually do, and I'm included in, in the we, and you are all with me, what, you, what we always do as a church is we go for the other stuff first. I missed those first five words when we first started studying this. Missed it. I got instantly into the tongues and what that meant, the prophecy and what that meant because I'm a nerd and I like that stuff. And where did this come from? And I forgot the guiding principle to all of it. Love. Love one another. And everything that we do here on a Sunday, it seeks the well-being of others. It follows the way of love. So, yes, there's worship. And sometimes uh, you, we get a tongue. Yes, there's worship, and it's great. Sometimes there's a prophecy. Sometimes there's a, a word spoken over people. Sometimes people get a picture. Sometimes there's prayer. Things happen, and that's all great Sometimes God has something specifically to say to you, and sometimes you walk out and say, there was really nothing specifically said to me. It was just a good time. Sometimes you walk away feeling encouraged, and sometimes you don't. But in all of it, follow the way of love, which means this. In all that we do here, we do so in the, with the other in mind. And sadly, when we think about our culture, when we think about what we, what we live in, what we're surrounded by, That's not what we usually use as our operating statement. We usually don't follow the way of love. I fall into this. We think of us, me, my, my personal agenda first. How does this affect me? What can I get from this? That didn't feed me. I don't like this speaker. I didn't like that song. I can't sing that high I don't like that worship director. And so we put the things in filters. And it's not just here in church. It's outside the church where we put it through a filter of me first. And then we bring that filter into here. And then our preferences become what we expect. And when we do that, we don't follow the way of love. Paul's priority here is not to keep the Corinthians in convenience mode. He's not saying we're going to make this as easy as possible. No, loving people is very, very difficult. It means putting yourself on the back burner. It means that when people walk in, they're going to look different than you expect. And because you and I live in a culture where we don't think anything other than us. And so when we see something different, we don't like that. Or we comment, or we give a cross stare. Is that following the way of love? We always think of convenience first. If it's easy, we'll go. If it fits into my schedule, we'll go. If not, we can get it online. We can sing songs in the car. I can listen to sermon podcasts. Uh, I can do so in the comfort of my bed, on my terms. And don't get me wrong, Bedside Baptist is some of the best church I've ever had. (laughs) We used to do Oceanside Baptist where we'd go surfing and call that church. Uh, And there's this thing where we say, I'm going to have it on my terms. But we forget the importance of the gathered community. We can do that. I listen to worship and sermons a lot, but that's not how we were supposed to live the Christian life. It's not a time of convenience where you do so on your terms. And if you're missing out on the body of Christ, you're missing out on the body of Christ. My gym coach said it this way when I was uh, getting acclimated to the new gym and and I was saying uh, someone asked, "How often should we be here?" And the coach said, do you want to see any, any reasonable change? And they said yes, and then they said, you should be here more than you're not. And, and, and that was a simple thing, but when you think about it, with the gathered community, it's, if you want to see reasonable change, we have to show up, and it's not just on Sunday mornings. If you want to see reasonable change in your life, it's showing up to your gathering group. If you want to see reasonable change in your life and transformation of the Spirit in your life, it's showing up to the quiet time between you and your Scriptures. It's showing up to the accountability group. It's showing up, and everything that God says, this can be transformative to you, but it's only transformative if you take part in it. Otherwise, it's just on your terms, and you miss the transformation. This is why Paul, or or the writer of Hebrews, some say it's Paul, some say it's Lydia, some don't know, says this in in Hebrews chapter 10. He says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the go-to verse of what people do when we talk about coming to church. Here's what's happening. Hebrews are being persecuted. They're being hunted down for their faith. And and the writer says, if you want to be encouraged, if you want to, this is going to be hard. If you want to make it through it, the first thing you do is don't give up meeting together. And then that word spur one another on. The word spur is actually annoy. Annoy your, your friends. I'm going to annoy you. Your friends should annoy and spur you on to what? Love and good deeds. When you gather together and you're being crushed on every side, you come together and you're encouraged not to go along with the way the culture is thinking of the individual consumeristic self. You're spurred on to love, seeing the other person better or in a different place than you and to good deeds. How can you be spurred to do love and good deeds if you don't put yourself in a place where you can be spurred, annoyed, encouraged to do love and good deeds. The transformation that Jesus has for all of us, this is the major ingredient. We show up and we seek the better welfare of the person around us. It means that we give grace. On Sunday mornings we give grace because, look, some of you have heard this message your whole entire life. Some of you have have the Bible memorized or most of it. Some of you have read through the Bible from cover to cover many times. And then there's other people who don't even can't find Genesis. And that's fine. Who don't own a printed scripture and that's fine. Who are who think what we do here is still weird but there's something about Jesus that they keep coming back for. And we're seeking Christ from different places in life. Different preferences different cultures. And the main point in all of this is that we give grace to each other on whatever spectrum we're at because we're seeking Christ in the middle. And so when we come here to seek the benefit of the other is to show up and to give grace Grace. because we're seeking Jesus from different starting points. It looks different, but we're all coming towards the Christ. We're all coming towards the cross and we meet there. And then the other thing is that we receive grace. It means that we accept the forgiveness of others when we've wronged them. Instead of hiding, we accept forgiveness. It means that we're loved, even though all we can think about is our shortcomings. This is a place where you don't have to be perfect to be present. You can, expect, you can accept the grace of the other person and come in because we give grace, we receive grace. Because we receive grace, we give grace. It's a place where we can come and explore Jesus. And when we put all of these things together, this is what becomes attractive about Jesus when his followers pursue him and love him and they worship expressively and God is speaking in their midst. And then this is when that people look around and go, something is happening in this place. God is present in this place and I want to be a part of it. One of the other major things that comes from this is we remember We remember what jesus did for us and today it's the second sunday of the month usually we do it on the first sunday of the month today we're going to uh, uh, remember christ and his sacrifice for us as we take communion Uh, earlier in corinthians it talks about the lord's supper every service they would gather around this we do it monthly every service that they had they would remember and they would take communion and paul talks about this a little later he says when you take communion make sure you do your little self a little check Uh, who is jesus you know what you're doing. This is a picture of Christ's sacrifice for us. It's a picture of his body that was broken for us. It's a picture of his blood that was spelled for, uh, spilled for us where we get forgiveness of sins. And so today we remember. But today we remember, but we remember together. And so I'm going to pray and then we're, we'll take communion. And here's how we do it here if, if you're new here. We, we come down, you take a, a piece of bread, and it's all gluten-free. Uh, you take a piece of bread and you dip it. And then you go back to your seat and you and you can either hold on to it until you're in your seat or you can uh, uh, take it then. Uh, but when you come, come down the center aisles or the side aisles just to make it easier on everybody. But I'll invite the, us, the, the communion service forward uh, and I'll pray and then we'll take communion. Father, we thank you. Uh, we thank you that you, we have a body that we can gather together. We can remember you. We can remember what you've done. And so, Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice that you've given for us. We thank you for your, your body. We thank you that through this we have forgiveness of sins. But more than that, Lord, we have a victory over death. Uh, this is why we gather, to remember you. In your name we pray. Amen.